I can't read music, right, Gene? You really can't read music, so. Gosh, it's uh, amazing. Thanks, brother. I get blessed because Gino comes in here on sometimes when the kids are at youth group and he just blesses us Wednesday nights. Wednesday night free concerts right here, Hope Community, Community Church. 75 years ago today, Central Free Church was born. Now, those of you who, those of you who are old members of Central Free Church, you probably weren't around then, most of you. And I love history. I love Christian history. I love political history. I love military history. I love it all. But to think that for 75 years there were, there were uh, evangelical free folk in this building, and before that there was some other Swedish denomination, the church goes back to 1895, that there have been people in this room Sunday mornings for about 100 and, was that 110, my math right, 110 years roughly. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? And then uh, those of you who know the story that Central Free, uh, due to many years of, of decline, uh, decided to pass on their building. And so Hope Community came in. We're only eight years old. But 75 years from now, most of the people in this room are going to be toes up. And just like Central, man, I want to leave a legacy. If, if the Lord tarries that long, doesn't come back. It's just a legacy that we are faithful to what God had us to do. I don't get into on, um, when I come on Sundays, I don't really try to focus on the, the words of the songs, although obviously I have my, my, the ones I like better. But I try not to go, oh, great, they're playing my favorite songs because then it's just conditional whether or not I'm going to praise God based on if I get my favorite songs or not. But I, I, got, I, got a, I got a confession. I have by far a favorite hymn. And I was very thrilled when I saw it this morning in the PowerPoint. And that is, It Is Well With My Soul. By far, it's my favorite hymn. And if you know the story of this hymn, it, it goes even deeper. A man by the name of Horatio Spafford in the 1870s was a very wealthy lawyer. In fact, he was so wealthy he didn't know what to do with his money, so he started investing uh, in, in a lot of real estate in Chicago. Well, if you know anything about the history of Chicago in the 1870s, real estate was not the best thing to invent in because in 1871, the great Chicago fire happened. And he lost everything. Right before, the, right before the fire, his son, his young son, died. So here he is, he's this mogul. He was this very rich mogul, and he was a follower of Jesus, but he didn't get disheartened. He thought, you know what we'll do? We'll just... We'll go over to, to England, and while we're there, we'll spend time with a famous pastor of the time, uh, Dwight Moody. <clears throat> we'll help in some of his campaigns. And so he sends his wife and his four daughters on a ship, and they go across the ocean in 1873, and he's going to do some business and catch up with them. And on the way over there, that ship is hit by another ship, and it sinks in 12 minutes. And he gets, a, he gets a telegram back from, the, uh, from his wife, and it just has two words. And it says, saved alone. His four daughters drowned. So she's rescued. She comes back to the United States. And he is on his way then traveling across. And when he comes near the spot where his four daughters drowned, he pens these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, 
Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Here's a guy who felt deeply. He wasn't just glossing over his stuff and saying, oh, praise God. No, this is a guy who was deeply, he says, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Just imagine as he's going across there, just these waves of, of, of almost uncontrollable sobbing that's going through him. And yet he says, Christ has regarded my helpless estate. It's no mistake that he used the word estate. He lost everything in the real estate market. Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. That concept is the reason I hope that you're here this morning. That's it. That was worth the price of admission. You have my permission to leave right now because that was the meat and potatoes. That Christ has regarded your helpless estate. That Jesus Christ loved you enough as a helpless estate. It's not because you're good looking or it's not because you're rich or famous or whatever you are. A Minnesotan. He didn't. He regarded your helpless estate. That's why we're studying the book of Acts. To see at the beginning 12 men and it quickly expanded beyond that to a bunch of people who could not contain themselves to keep this simple message to themselves but it just spread like wildfire or like I like to say like a bad rash. <laughs> ben, ben Johnson gave me, a, gave me a, a, a poster that has a picture of this huge rash in this guy's arm. Just this massive rash and he said Hope Community Church spreading Christianity like a bad rash. That should be our, we put that right on the wall outside, see how that, uh, see how that sells. <laughs> we're in a series right now called The Church on Fire, the study of the book of Acts. And last week, we were in the first week, last week we were in the first week of a three-week sermon, really, and it just kind of chunked up into three different parts here. And, and uh, so I just want to kind of, those of you who weren't here, I just want to give you a little bit of a, of a, a review of what we did last week. Last week, Peter the leader of the church, Peter has uh, something that's going to happen to him that's a paradigm shift. Remember we saw the clip from the Matrix where you take the red pill, the blue pill, and your, your life's going to get turned upside down when you start to realize some truth. Peter's going to have that happen to him. First of all, we meet somebody else by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is just a Roman guard. He's a good guy. He does good things to the poor. He's a devout guy. He's someone who goes about praying and, and he gives gifts to the poor. And in a vision, he sees an angel. And, excuse me, it was not even, a, yeah, he had a vision and, and he sees an angel. And he replies to him, he says, what do you want? And he, uh, the angel says, I, I want you to send men to Joppa, another city, about 30 miles away. I want you to send men there and I want you to get this guy by the name of Peter or Simon. And he's hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house. And so Cornelius says, sounds good. 
Now while that's happening, um, God communicates to Peter and gets him ready. But he doesn't give him a real clear vision like he gave to Cornelius. He gives him a little bit, kind of a little bit tricksy one. And he, he gets, he's having this, he goes upstairs and he's going to pray up on the roof in Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 9 there. And, and it says that uh, while he's praying, he, it says he fell into a trance. And it says during this trance he had a vision and the vision was this. He saw heaven open up and a sheet came down. And inside that sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And in that sheet... Uh, are all these animals, and someone speaks out to him and says, Peter, kill and eat. And to a practicing Jew, you are not supposed to eat certain types of, of food. We talked about that last, certain types of meat. We talked about that last week. And so he says, no, I've never done that. And three times the vision comes, and three times the, the voice says to him, what God calls clean, don't call unclean. What God has made Pure, do not call impure. Happens three times. Then the two of them meet. This Cornelius, excuse me, not Cornelius, but the people that went to go get Cornelius and Peter. And Cornelius' people have a clear understanding, at least they think, of what's going on. Peter is scratching his head going, what? Sheet thing, animal thing? Hmm. While that's going on, there's a knock at the door and these people meet. And that's where we left it last week, right in the middle. Oh, can't wait, huh? Here we go. Let's pick it up this, this week. We're going to look at this passage, the, rent, the rest of chapter 10. What I've done is I've divided it into five chunks. And within one of the chunks, the chunk number four, we have six parts. Chunks are big, parts are little, right? So it's five chunks and, and six parts in that one little chunk. That makes any sense. Okay. Here we go. Look at, let's look at verse 23 here. Then Peter invited the man into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them. And they're going from Joppa to, or excuse, yeah, they're going Joppa to Caesarea, 30 miles. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So some of Peter's homies went with them. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. So picture this, this scene now. you got a few people from, that came to go get Peter. you got Peter. you got his associates. You've got Cornelius, and he says, I want all my friends and all my relatives to come. There's this house, so it's just kind of packed. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Now, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, does not give you one word of dialogue that they said in 30 miles, right? Now, it's possible they didn't say anything for 30 miles. I don't know if you've ever been in a car where you're driving along and there's just silence. You know you're a really close friend with someone or married to them if you can drive <laughs> and there's just silence for 30 miles. This is walking. No dialogue. Nothing. He gets to the door. This guy, he just decides to include this event. Falls at his feet. He says, stand up. Get up. Why does he put that there? Why does he include that bit of dialogue? I think it's clear. I think one thing that Luke wants to make absolutely clear about Peter 
is Peter understands that it ain't about Peter. No offense, Peter. You know, it, it just isn't about Peter. He says, get up, get up. I'm just a guy. He makes sure that he understand, that we understand that Peter, it's not gone to Peter's head that he's the pastor of this huge megachurch in Jerusalem and spreading all over the place. Uh-uh, just a guy. I'm just a guy. Okay, 27, verse 27. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. We talked about that last week. Jewish people were not to associate with non-Jewish people. They were unclean. So for him even to go into the house is a big deal. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Peter figured it out on the 30-mile journey. Somewhere in there, it's like, oh, it's not about just Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's about people. You're opening the doors, God. It's not just going to be about Jewish people anymore. It's going to be about anybody. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And then listen to this. He says, may I ask you why you sent for me? Now Peter is a humble guy. But you know, he's, he's a pastor. He's the lead pastor of a church of, you know, I don't know. Last time we left it, it was five 6,000. And then that got scattered all the places. So he's got to worry about all these satellite churches around. And they, they call for him, you know, and, and he shows up. And he's, you know, he's, he's a very humble guy. But he doesn't just say, I'm going to tell you what the agenda is. He asks them, why, why did you send for me? Dudes and dudettes, there is a huge lesson here for us. People feel honored when you ask them questions. It's a simple thing. If you're trying to get to know somebody or you're trying to be hospitable to them, simply ask questions. It's an amazing art that not many people have. Just ask them a question. Where are you from? What's your, what's your family like? What's your major if you're, a, if you're a college student? Ask questions. It's simple. When we started Hope Community Church, my entire strategy to get to know new people Consisted of when you came, you know, and this is how this is how religious institutions start and how they never die. On your card it says first, second, third, fourth. You're probably going, why does it say that? Who cares? First, second, third, fourth time. Well, the deal was this: is after you came a fourth time, then I felt it was okay to give you a call and say, let's have bagels. And so I would take everybody who was new out for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. We'd go sit at Brugger's Bagels over there by the U of M. And I'd just sit there. Anybody to be taken out for bagels by me? Anybody? Yeah, Cora. Yeah. Cora, about six or seven times, actually, checked that box. <laughs> <sighs> when I went there, I had a primary objective. I wanted to get to know you. But I always asked you one question. I asked you one question. Where are you at in your spiritual journey? You know, I've replaced all my other strategies to getting to talk to people about Jesus with that simple question. Where are you at in your spiritual journey? And you know what I do next? Something really radical. You might want to write this down. I listen. Sometimes up to an hour. I'll just listen. Where are you at? 
What was important in your life? Who is God to you? And I listen. It's exactly what Peter does here. Look at next. Cornelius answered. And he lets him talk for a whole paragraph. Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now here we all, here we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord your God, Lord, excuse me, I'll get this right. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Can you imagine? Here's Peter. I mean, it's always loaded to bear to tell anybody about Jesus. But here's this guy, Cornelius, who gets his vision to say, go get him, go get some. He says, what do you want? And he says, I want you to preach down my throat. I mean, that's my translation, but that's basically, he's saying, whatever you want to tell me, I want to hear. Now, let's look at this from Peter's perspective. He's on this road from Joppa. He's going to, he knows he's going to a Gentile's house, and he's got this vision thing, and he's working that out. I guess it's okay for me even to go there. And when he goes there, he finds probably one of the most prepared persons ever to hear the message about Christ. They are so prepared. He says, preach it up, pastor. Come on, bring it home. Everything you want to say, everything the Lord tells you, we want to hear. Let me give you a little, little uh, side encouragement here, a little application right away. Do not underestimate where your friends, who you think are a million miles away from God, oh, they would never want to go to church, or oh, they would never want to even talk about that. Do not underestimate. Here you got this Roman soldier. Okay, Roman soldier. Tough guy. And in a matter of short span of time, he's saying, Peter, whatever you want to say to me, I'll take. When I was in college, when I was in college, before I made a commitment to Christ, I partied with a guy who, when he got a little bit too much to drink, you would stay 15 to 20 feet away from. This guy was nuts. He was nuts. I mean, I'm serious. I, I, you wouldn't want to. He just was one of those guys who would say the meanest things. He would break stuff. He was just out of control. It's like, okay, when, when Ron has had too much or even when Ron hasn't, he's just that kind of person. It's like one of the last people I ever would have thought would make a commitment to Christ. Later that year, I made a commitment to Christ. I didn't have any more relationship with Ron until about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I get a call, and it's a guy who says he's the director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and also the chaplain for the Minnesota Vikings. I say, oh, yeah, what's your name? He says, Ron, Ron Backus. I know a Ron Back. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way you're that guy. He was that guy. I met with him for coffee this week. He's going to come here and share his story sometime this spring. I couldn't believe it. But if God can do that to Cornelius, why can't he do it to a slug like Ron? <laughs> I hope none of you know Ron. Or I'm a Ron was a shot putter. I'm a dead man if... Uh, <laughs> if uh, <laughs> He hears this. God works in people's lives and he's working at Cornelius. Cornelius is sitting there. He can't wait to hear what Peter has to say. Let's hear what Peter has to say. Fourth chunk is the message that Peter gives to Cornelius and there's going to be six different 
parts to this. I kind of want to just take this kind of verse or maybe a couple of verses at a time. Let's take verse 34. It says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That was a radical, turn your world upside down kind of view to Peter. He did not know that before. It wasn't until here when he said, people who are not Jews can be blessed by God. Oh my goodness, what a radical, what a radical shift in his thought. God does not show favoritism. Literally, if you looked at the original language, there's a, it, it, just, it plays out in this great word. It says, truly, I see that God is not an acceptor of faces. Isn't that cool? I see that God is not an acceptor of faces. God does not look at how you look. God does not really care much how you look. He's more concerned about what's going on inside. That's why I wonder so much, why we spend so much time on making ourselves look good. And I don't mean physically. Look good. That's a good thing. Please. But it's not that. It's about I want to make sure that everybody sees me for who I am. And I got to put up this wall. And I, gotta, I wouldn't dare want to let anybody see deep inside me. And it says God is not an acceptor of faces. God does not see you that way. He knows exactly. He goes down where you're, you're, you're the most afraid. He sees the worst part of you. He sees the best part of you. He sees everything. If that's the way Almighty God sees you, why in the world do we put faces on, masks on, so other people can't see us that way? If we're not afraid of the way God sees us, we're afraid of how you perceive me, I, I, I got something going wrong in, in my thinking. God is not the acceptor of faces. Verse 35, but he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The, the way that Peter would have went about it before was he'd have found people who weren't Jewish. He would have said, first you have to become a Jew. And then you have to become a Christian. But from this point on, he says, no. It's open to anybody. Anybody can come from any nation. Verse 36. He's talking to Cornelius and the whole crowd. And he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That was the message. The message is that there's, there's peace. And there's a lot of talk, even this day, about peace. And I'm, and I'm all in favor. Who wants war? Nobody wants war. But there's times when, you know, you obviously have to go to war. So I'm not going to make a statement about that. But there's a much bigger war than us versus Afghanistan or Iraq or even terrorism. There's a much bigger war going on. And the war is between God and you. And there's only one way to make peace. And it's right here. It says, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You cannot just always be a better person. You know, I'll, I'll just do things better and I'll pray more and I'll read my Bible more and I'll go to church more and I'll do this stuff. No, that won't get you a truce in this war. There's only one way. It's a corny bumper sticker, I admit it, but I just had to put this up here. It says, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. I, I know, I know, I know. But it, uh, sometimes the first time you see bumper stickers, uh, you think they're, they're very cool. And I, I like, the other one, my favorite is, uh, my Bosch is a Jewish carpenter. You have to think about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. 
Jesus Christ gives you the peace to the ultimate war between you and God because that's the biggest war going on. Because we are sinful and he is not, there's a war going on and Christ is the only truce to that war. This is the message he's giving Cornelius. Pick it up now in verse 37. He says, you know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Cornelius, Jesus is the one. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. He is it. And what he's coming to do is undo the works of the devil. Now, a lot of you may think, oh, man, it just seems like life is so hard and there's so many rotten things happen. It seems like the devil is winning. The devil is not winning. Read the back of the book. We win. If, amen. If, if you uh, are familiar with World War II, my son's doing a, a report on this, actually. At D-Day, the war was over. It wasn't really over, but it was over. It was a decisive victory on D-Day that was going to change World War II forever. V-E Day, Victory in Europe Day, happened sometime later. The cross is like D-Day. It's over. We're living in between V-E Day, is that like that song that Michael transposed there? One day, one day will be V-J Day, huh? Or I guess that's Japan, that doesn't work. But v, uh, V-J-C Day, I guess. One day, it'll be total victory. We live in the midst of that right now, and it seems like the devil is having his run. Peter's telling Cornelius, he's saying, you know what? Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who is promised. He's the one who is the one who can make peace. He's the one who is Messiah. He's the one who God poured out his spirit on. In fact, he doesn't get totally into the theology here, but he's totally God and totally man at the same time. 100% God, 100% man. He's the second person of the Trinity. That's who he is, Cornelius. And then he says in, in, in uh, and he also says in, in, in uh, there that we saw this. We were, we were witnesses of this. We have seen this. In verse 39 it says, we are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Then it says, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. Kind of an interesting phrase. It just basically means he caused him to be raised from the dead. And this is the most critical point. If Jesus Christ came and did not die, just was taken back up into heaven without death, you and I have no forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher. He is that. He's a great teacher. He's much more than that. He's your Savior. He's the one who is the lifeboat. He's the only hope you have of a right relationship with God. And he says, why? Because they hung him on a tree. In Deuteronomy, it talks about people who are hung on trees are cursed. Jesus was cursed. He became sin for us. He took our penalty. He overcame that, though, because he was raised from the dead. Then he goes on to say in verse 41, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Not everybody saw him, he says, but enough Bible talks about 500 people seeing Christ risen. It's enough to know Cornelius that he's the one, that he died, that he rose again to have victory over that punishment that he took for us. 
And then he gives the punchline. It comes in two forms. Peter says, in verse 42, he says, He commanded us to preach to the people, including you, Cornelius, and to testify, because we're witnesses of these very things that have happened, that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. What will you say, Cornelius, come judgment day? That's what he's saying. What will you say? Everybody in this room, everybody in this room is going to die. I can guarantee that. There have been people sitting in this room for 110 years. A good chunk of them, most of them, are dead. And they have sat before Christ who will judge the living and the dead. And he'll ask you, why should I let you into heaven? And there is but one right answer. It is not, well, I, I was religious. Or I, I, I gave a lot of money away. That's not the right answer. What is the right answer? Verse 43. All the prophets, Cornelius, I want to let you know that the Old Testament speaks about Jesus. All the prophets test about him, about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The only right answer is you shouldn't. You shouldn't let me in. But I'll take that as the one who takes my sin. I'll take that as my sin substitute. I'll let Christ take my sin. And I've did that in my lifetime. You can't do it after life. You can't go, you know what, I'm just going to party here and then three minutes before I die, I'll trust Jesus. Or after I'm dead. That's foolish. Don't do that. That's what I thought I would do. I remember the first time I heard the message of, of that you had to come to a point in your life where you believed in Christ enough to say, I will be a follower of you. I will set my faith upon you. And I was, it was in high school. And I remember it was at a funeral. And the guy asked if he had an altar call at a funeral. He said, raise your hand if you want to become a Christian. I'm thinking, what a weird thing to do at a funeral. This guy is dead. I mean, we should be thinking about that. And, we're, this guy, and I remember think, I started sweating. I started realizing that I was not a follower of Christ. That if I were to die, I'd be in big trouble. And I remember thinking, I am just going to have all the fun I can now, and then, I, and then I will come to Christ. You know, I've talked to people who party and just do wild things, and they're miserable. You think, oh, but being Christian's hard. You know what? Talk to people who are just totally sucked into the world's concept of what fun is and see, are they happy? They're not. It's a lie. He says, all, everyone who believes in him, what happens if you just put your faith in Jesus Christ, you trust in him, you do a trust fall, and you say, Lord, right here, right now. You could do it right where you're sitting right now. Right here, right now. I trust you. I will not trust anything else, and I commit myself to being a follower of you. Come into my life. Take away my sin. Make me different. You can say something like that to him right here, right now. And you will receive forgiveness of sins. So on that day, he'll say, why should I let you in? He's saying, you shouldn't. But because of Christ and because of what he did for me and that I accepted that free gift, I want to come in. And he'll say, come on in. How does Cornelius respond? I love this. It says, whilst Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
My prayer for you is that some of you in this room who are right at that point in your spiritual journey, where and I know there's some people here who are just wondering, is there even a God? And if there is a God, why Christianity? I understand that. And some of you have been processing for that for a while. But some of you are at the point where you're right on that, that fence. Should I trust Christ or not? You're right on that fence. My hope is that even before I'm done speaking, you just settle a matter with God and say, God, I want to live for you. I want, I'm making that faith commitment today. And that's what happens to Cornelius. He's just sitting there. Everybody else do. They're persuaded. Holy Spirit comes on him. The circumcised believers, that, those who were Jewish, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The same way it happened to the, to the Jewish followers of Christ. This was now happening to the Gentiles. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Remember what baptism is. Baptism is the initiatory right into the church. So they're letting the Gentiles, these people who they thought were the scum of the world, they were letting them into the, into the church. Baptism is an outward sign of something that of an inward reality. They, they made a decision for Christ and they were going to be baptized. They had received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, in closing, I, I want to ask you a simple question. Are you like Cornelius or are you like Peter? If you're like Cornelius, Cornelius was just a good guy. He was just a good guy. He was a devout guy. He even prayed. He gave money to the poor. He was a hard worker. To be a, to be a Roman centurion, you'd have to be a hard worker. He was just your average good guy. And it also says that he feared God. If you look back to last week's passage, it says that he feared God. But there's a difference between being a person who believes in God and someone being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a difference. And Cornelius did not have the whole message. My question this morning, is that where you're at? Are you at a point where you don't have the whole message? Or are you a person who has the whole message, but for whatever reason you've kind of wandered back and are kind of just living as this believer in God, kind of good guy, and not saying, you know what, Jesus, I just want to follow you. Whatever that means. I want to just follow you. Or are you like Peter? Peter had a very unclear message given to him. Here's this sheep thing and the reptiles and the animals and birds in it. And, and it became clearer and clearer and clearer along the way. Peter already had the complete message. He already had made a commitment to, to Christ. You can read about that in the book of Matthew chapter 16 when he makes clear who he thinks Jesus is. But here Peter is now walking with God after his uh, conversion to Christ and it's very unclear what he's doing. But you know what? He just keeps saying, yes, Lord, I'll keep doing whatever, wherever you want me to go, I'll keep going. I'll keep going. And you know what? It became clear at the end. But it wasn't clear along the process. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe God's throwing you for a loop. You're like, what is going on? I, I've never failed a course before in my life. I know we're only two weeks in, but some of you may feel like that. I, I, I don't know what to do with this. Or some life circumstances happen where you're just, what is going on? Hang on. It'll make sense. Made sense to Peter. It'll make sense to you at some point in time.
Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that as many as there are people in this room, God, I ask that you would treat each person individually right now. And just like you spoke to Cornelius, and just like you spoke to Peter, God, you'd speak individually uh, what we're to do with, with this great account of Peter meeting Cornelius and how Peter's life was turned upside down, as was Cornelius's. Lord, if there are areas in our life where we're holding on to them, and we're not letting you move, would you just show those to us? Jesus, if we're at a point in our journey where we're right at that fence time, we're deciding whether or not to be a follower of Christ or not, I pray by your spirit, you'd give us the courage to just pull that trigger and to say yes. Lord, if that's the case for people in this room, would you just show them what it means for them to turn from a previous way of life and to turn towards you? Would you show the things that that they have to give up, which they'll find out was not life anyway, and turn towards life, which is really life? Lord, would you give them the courage to, to, to be people who are just followers of you from their toes? Would you allow them right now, even, even right now, to open the door of their heart and to say, Jesus Christ, come in and change me from the inside out. I give you permission. Holy Spirit, we'd ask that you would land on people as they're doing that, perhaps even in this room. We pray for those of us, God, who are going through an uncertain time. Lord, we need your leading. We are like sheep. We go astray. We need you as our loving shepherd, and we pray that you would guide us. I pray for every person here that even now as I speak and even as we sing these last songs, that by your spirit, you would make things very clear where we're headed, what we're doing. You'd give an assurance of that. God, we just pray that our church would be a church on fire. That's only going to happen as you move in us. We pray this in Christ's name.